three, two, one. <laughs> what? Reversal of fortune. That's why I tell my friends everything happens for Seriously, a Seriously, you had one job. I, just, I, I can't with Jeez. some of these people. I just, Put down your goddamn cell phone. I don't think my dad even knows how to use a computer. Uh, uh, Would you rather? Right, trust me, take no, my advice. No, but seriously, that legit happened. How's it going, guys? And welcome to Nervous Habits. This week, I will be joined by addiction specialist, clinician, and medical director, Dr. Vera Tarman, to dive into all things addiction. We'll be addressing issues including why our addiction to food is the most pressing addiction that hardly anybody talks about, how exactly the fast food industry targets heavy users to perpetuate their addictions to processed food, why you can never really scare a person out of their addiction, how to program your brain into only craving healthy food, and finally, why calorie counting is not the answer and how you might end up dieting yourself into obesity. All that and so much more on another episode of Nervous Habits. What's going on, fam? Hope everyone is safe and healthy and happy. I'm really excited to chat about nutrition in this episode with you guys. Obviously, food and nutrition is something I've discussed quite a bit on the pod. Uh, back, I mean, the first episode, you know, we talked about protein and macros and then fiber uh, later on. And uh, I did an episode on fast food and the omnipresence of corn in all of our food and um, Americans inclination towards processed food, which my guest will uh, be touching on quite a bit. And then, uh, you know, I've talked about GMOs and I did a whole episode on vegan and vegetarianism and American swelling appetite for meat. That's uh, back episode 21. So my guest today, Dr. Vera Tarman, she is far more knowledgeable in all of this than I am. She's actually a food addiction specialist and clinician. Um, Vera is the medical director of Renaissance, which is Canada's largest drug and alcohol residential treatment center, and the author of Food Junkies, Recovery from Food Addiction, which is now in its second edition. Um, if you feel like maybe you have an unhealthy addiction to sugar or fast food or greasy food, fried food, if you want to maybe reprogram your brain to crave healthy food, uh, you know, stay away from the sugar, the desserts, um, or, you know, maybe you want to uh, cut back on the meat or, you know, find, find, you know, try to gain an understanding for what's going on in your brain that's leading you to seek out these foods. Definitely tune into this episode. Vera had a lot of an amazing insights um, that I think we you know, would, would all benefit from incorporating into our daily regimen. So without further ado, my conversation with Vera. Vera, welcome to the show. Hi, Ricky. I'm really happy to be here. Well, we're, you know, we're thrilled to, to have you here. You are a, a uh, bona fide food addiction, addiction specialist, right? That's right. I am. I'm actually an addiction specialist, a medical doctor that specializes in addiction. And I have my own interest uh, in a clinical interest in food addiction. You know, when people hear addiction, Vera, they, you know, they think drugs, they think alcohol. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I can't say before our conversation that I really ever gave a lot of thought to the idea that the foods that we eat every day could be as addictive as, you know, say, say, you know, a drug. Yeah, I know you're, you're, you, you kind of represent the general population and it's actually not really until you try to quit that you see actually how addictive it is, but you know. People don't think about quitting until they're lose, they're gaining weight or they're sick, right? Yeah, Vera. I mean, before we delve into specifics of you know uh, our addiction to sugar and refined sugars, I just sort of want to contextualize this conversation because right now we're obviously in the midst of this month, you know, several months long pandemic, yeah. and quite quite a few people are home. They're out of work. They're bored out of their minds, and yeah. they have they have nothing to do but pace around their their kitchens and sort of indulge in you know in food. And yeah. so I would I would imagine that in your work specifically helping people with food addictions right now is a time where you're seeing tremendous need where where people who maybe have never experienced food addiction before are realizing maybe maybe I have a problem in the yeah. context of the pandemic. That's right, because, you know, they pick up baking, they've decided they're going to start cooking, they're getting, you know, family together to do like, a, a, you know, a baking for the kids or whatever. And yes, they're probably realizing by now, people are starting to put on those pounds and are going, whoa, better stop. And now are discovering how difficult it is to stop. But, you know, there is the other side of it. Um, one of the things that's really difficult, difficult about quitting sugar is the social nature of it. And we're socially mm -hmm. isolating. So we actually have the opportunity to 
quits without having, you know, family saying, hey, I baked you this cake or, I, you know, it's Christmas or it's a wedding or whatever. We don't have those cues. We could actually stop. So there's two sides to that. Coin. Right. That's an excellent counterpoint. I mean, you could say the same thing with alcohol about people who have had, um, you know, substance problems with social drinking because obviously it's difficult to you know yeah. uh, order club soda at a bar and now they're at home maybe is a nice opportunity to, to wean off alcohol consumption yeah, that's right so yeah so it is possible there is another side to it but you know the other thing is when, when you know you ask the question about how can sugar or, or, or food be addictive um it, the other thing is is that the, the nature of sugar addiction or food addiction, you know, the different levels or variations of it, is it's not an addiction where you stop and you have cold turkey, you know, shakes and sweats and you're on the toilet, um, you know, vomiting like you might with an opiate or even alcohol addiction. It's a low-grade um uh, long it's like not big in the face but prolonged uh, addiction and so you don't even notice that you're irritable or anxious because you haven't had sugar or you're crashing from sugar you just attribute it to your I don't know your bipolar disorder or your attention deficit disorder or something like that like like it's almost under the radar and it's when you actually stop and those things get better or even go away that you go oh my god that was the food you know? mm, that's that's an amazing insight, and I think it it sort of you know um, begs the question of, of how well or how poorly we understand our own bodies. Because I yeah. agree with you. I think people will misattribute the source of their depression, their irritability, their anxiety. They'll think, oh, it's a circumstance, it's a relationship, maybe yeah. it's it's a hobby, maybe it is uh, you know a psychological problem. But a lot of times, to your point, we have dependencies on things, not even food. I mean, you know, dependencies on on other things in our lives, and we're not good judges of what it is. And it's only once you take a step back. And you say, wait a minute, you know, that's my my 13th Oreo this day or wait a minute. I really I can't go, you know, a, cu a couple days without a McDonald's burger where you realize there is a dependency problem here, Vera. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I, I like to actually think of it as uh, it's almost like um, quitting, quitting sugar, or quitting food is like at the same level of quitting cigarettes. You know, you quit and it's not like this huge fall fall crash but it's this constant you want you want you want that cigarette I don't know if you were ever a smoker but people say smoking is the hardest thing to quit because it's in your face you do it so many times in a day that's exactly how we eat sugar it, it's kind of yeah. like a tobacco addiction I mean it's funny Vera I I, I have sort of uh I, I've been told that I have an addictive personality oh, and yeah? I, I am aware of, of that so I stay uh -huh. away from video games because I know if I start a video game it'll right. you know be an all-consuming all force in my life. I also stay away from cigarettes because I understand. And, and I think a lot of this is about self-awareness. A lot of this is about you know knowing what your tendencies are and adapting to them. I, I, I know that if I smoke a pack of cigarettes because I'm stressed out today, next week I'm going to smoke a pack of cigarettes. If I take a Xanax because I'm stressed out, then I'm going to develop that addiction. Yes, yes, you're right. You got it right on. Yeah. And I think obviously, you know, we spoke before this and, and I mentioned a lot of my background is in psychology and neuroscience. And I think that it's impossible to talk about food addiction in America without talking about the impact that, you know, marketing campaigns and businesses have on our brain. So would you say when you trace the root of sugar addiction in America, would you say that these these, you know, big businesses and, and the advertising campaigns and that plays into it or are there other factors as well? Yeah, you know, you're describing really nicely the sort of uh, paradigm or platform of how you can understand addiction. You know, addiction in itself, it's it's a biological phenomena. You know, it's a dopamine impairment process that's literally happening, change in the brain type of thing. Uh, but then there's there's a sociological overlay, which is, uh, you know, the whole what we call in the addiction field, um, you know, the addiction tools, people, places, things, the cues, the associations, you know, the Pavlov's dog bell, you know, you hear the bell and you start to salivate. Well, you smell the uh, uh, Cinnabons or the croissants and you start to salivate. Smell is just a trigger. And, and the uh, advertising industry has really, oh my God, put tons of money into that kind of subliminal, yeah, I guess it is, psychological um, dimension on top of the actual biological change. And the food industry is just really clever at, uh, I mean, it's an industry, it's a profit industry, and that's, they're doing it as well as the tobacco industry and as well as the alcohol industry. And there's been a lot of literature 
chapter, if you've read any of Michael Pollan's books, um, like The Eater's Manifesto, The Omnivore's Dilemma, where they actually pull back the Iron Curtain and they let you know um, you know what goes on at these companies. And essentially, they have focus groups. They invest millions of dollars bringing people in and testing dozens of smells because I, I think your point on the queue is, is very – you know, if you walk into a McDonald's, they want you to smell that French fry, that yeah. indistinguishable odor and immediately – uh, you know, prompt you, to prompt your your salivary glands like Pavlov's bell to yeah. kick into gear. And so they invest so many resources into bringing in people to say A is better than B, B is better than C, and they make it so that it's almost impossible to resist that impulse to want you know fast food, for example. Yeah, you got it. You hit it right on the head. And that's why foods, the the, the processed food industry, like you know, this conversation ultimately boils down to you know why are we having this conversation? Is to is to first of all recognize that there's a problem and it's causing problems like obesity and mental health issues, et cetera, et cetera. What do we do about it? Well, we stop eating processed foods. You know, get away from the industry that's doing that. Uh, but but there beyond that even you know there's clinicians like me, uh, addiction doctors. Who, who are left with the subculture of people who can't just stop anymore. Like, you know, you know it's bad for you. You tried to quit a million times, but you keep coming back to it. So now what? And that's where addiction doctors uh, fit in, I think. Yeah, and, and, and I think another part of this conversation is, you know, relaying the fact that people are, are really uh, – how, how do I explain this? Is, is you know – is, is educating people about how there's no fault here. If anything, if there is fault, it's fault on the part of the, of the businesses because every single human being at our base impulses craves sugar and craves fat. That's just the way that our bodies are, are constructed. So, yes. you know, it's not, it's not like you're a bad person because you smell bacon, um, you know, grilling and, and, you know, you, you want, you want meat or, you know, you smell the McDonald's French fries and you want a burger and fries. You know, these companies are essentially exploiting our yeah. physiological in, impulses and inclinations. And, you know, it, 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 if anything, we're just sort of like victims. We're, we're sort of helpless in this scheme. It's not like, you know, we're, you know, we're to blame for, for being addicted to these foods. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, in, in the language of addiction, they are the pushers, you know, and, and like pushers, what they do is they make something extremely available and very cheap and capture a, a large swath of the population. And, you know, in the in that industry, they've got terms like the heavy users. They don't call them the addicts, but that's what they are. They're the people who don't just have a few Oreos, but they get, you know, the two or three uh, things from those girl guide uh, you know that knock on your door I'll take a few boxes thank you uh, and you know you wolf those down in, in the night not everybody does that but there's a bunch of those people and it's not their fault this this is a, a yeah I mean I like that word exploit that's exactly what it is so we're going to kind of pivot away from fast food in a moment, but you know, right. th this is a really interesting conversation and it's something that I've actually spoken about on the podcast before, because if you break down the, you know, the, the composition of a fast food meal, and I'm sure, you know, we're going to talk about this at some point with processed foods, but pretty much like 95% of it ends up being just corn, right? The, the, the corn, yeah. uh, the high fructose corn syrup that goes into the, um, into the soda or the corn oil that grills the French fries or yeah. the corn, the corn fed cows that produce the burger. And, you know, if, and then if you, if you look further in terms of how, how, you know, how real and, and, you know, organic this food is, uh, there's studies, there was something that came out a couple of years ago where someone actually left a Big Mac in their desk drawer for 10 oh, years, yeah. 10 years there. Did, did you hear about this? I, I, yeah, um, something like this. It wasn't the burger, but it's something like that. Yeah. They left a, they left a burger in their drawer for 10 years and they accidentally found it. I, I you know, I, I don't know how that transpired and the burger looked exactly the same as yeah. when this guy brought it. So it also, from a health perspective, um, you know, it shows that this food might not be that good, really that, that, you know, it might be pretty detrimental for our bodies to be consuming this. Yeah. Well, really? Yeah. So I, I guess our food is either pre-digested for us or indigestible, you know? Yeah, it's, yeah. Oh my um, God. Yeah. So, so I, you know, I, our, our listeners are, are probably gonna be really craving, uh, you know, a nice, a nice fat food quarter pounder right now. But um, for, you know, the, for those people listening who, who maybe are skeptical, Vera, who might say, what's wrong with sugar? You know, if I put three sugars in my coffee or, you know, I put a little sugar, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm making a cake or what have you. Is sugar really all that dangerous compared to 
the other things we could be putting there our, our bodies like you know uh, vegetable oil or you know bacon fat or grease you know what makes sugar in particular so harmful you know i don't i don't know if uh um that's you know there's two things in your question there one is you can pit a bad it's almost like saying what's wrong with alcohol when uh, cocaine is worse well, they're both a problem or you know what's wrong with marijuana it's not as bad as alcohol they can both be a problem for a vulnerable person so let's just crash that discussion right there uh, you know bacon fat versus sugar they they can both be a problem but sugar particularly uh the, the other thing is and this is where people are so incredulous like how can it be a problem you know we've normalized sugar in the very same way that when I was an intern, a young intern, you know, 20 years ago, um, I think it was only 20 years ago that I was sitting in a, an onco a respiratory oncologist's um, uh, office. So that's a guy that deals with lung cancer. And he's puffing away at his cigarette in the office because it was normal to smoke cigarettes. It was normal to smoke a cigarette in an airplane. And it's normal to eat a Snickers bar when you're in the middle of having a conversation or at a meeting. Like we've normalized this so that we ask that question with the toxin in our hand. What's wrong with this? Well, I'll tell you what's wrong with it. You know, when, when we talk about sugar, you can say, what about fruits? What about vegetables like like corn, um, like like beets that have sugar in them? If, if we eat them in the actual package that nature has given it to us, in other words, unrefined and non-processed, actually, there's nothing wrong with it. You can have as much fruit as you like as your body can stand in that day. Uh, it's when you take it and you refine it and you process it that's when it becomes a problem. And when we ask that question, how can it be bad? It's not making that distinction, you know. Having cocaine in the coca leaf that it grows in, you know, in, in South America when you're traveling, um, you know, high up in the mountains, it's not addictive, not like the stuff that you buy around the corner from um, and so we're, we're, it's really apples and oranges, if I can use that phrase there. Well, yeah. it's interesting. I, I think you're actually striking on something, um, it, you know, so, something that's also insightful as a side note is just the fact that when we get food from its original source compared to like taking it in, in supplemental form, it's better. It, it's like the, the old saying, you know, it's better to just eat an orange to get yeah. the vitamin C than take a vitamin C pill. We should Absolutely. be going directly to the foods, Vera. Yes, yes. Like the phrase goes, I, I don't know if that was Michael Pollan who said it, but somebody eat real foods and not too many of them. That sounds like Michael Pollan. That's it. That's it. Exactly. That, you know, we, we, we could uh, summarize this, the importance of this conversation just simply by that. If we ate real foods, we wouldn't have all these problems. And we don't. And we've got a ton of problems. Absolutely. No, I think I think that. That's particularly well said. And you mentioned in some of some of the work that you've done, you talk about how sugar is a gateway drug for teenagers. Yeah, so right. what do you what do you mean by a gateway drug? And then why are teenagers in particular at risk? Yeah. OK, so actually we can even push the envelope a bit further and say kids, because, um, again, if we're eating real food uh, and that's either mother's milk or that's uh, real food, you know, you start with the vegetables and fruits that mom is trying to give you when you're a, a kid, you're not, that's not a problem. That stuff is not a problem. I mean, mother's milk is high in fat and sweet, not a problem. Um, but, you know, we, we start giving kids, uh, you know, Cheerios and uh, fruit juice and those box juices and whatever. And if we see that as toxic chemical, not food, toxic food product, not food, um, uh, then uh, we, we can actually start to see that what's happening is, is we're bombarding a system that's built for real food. Um, we're bombarding a system, uh, crushing it, uh, destroying the receptors in such a way that when another drug, like, uh, it makes the same argument as cigarettes can be a gateway, marijuana can be a gateway for harder drugs, sugar can be a gateway because you've bombarded the system that might have been robust enough that you could have uh, had a little and not, not um you know, succumb to the addiction. But there you are, you're already half beaten uh, by sugar. And then by the time you're a teenager, teenagers, I mean, you're, you know, you, you study psychology, you know this, that this is this is a, an age um, where uh, a lot of uh, risk and impulsive behavior is intended to happen so that you learn to moderate that behavior. It's part of the challenge of being a teenager. When you've got an, a bombarded system that can no longer give the appropriate cues, First of all, you're not going to do a lot of appropriate learning, um, and you're 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 a sitting duck 
for stuff that comes around your way like alcohol or that first hit of cocaine or whatever it is. Um, or, or, you know, the Ritalin that your doctor is giving you because of your ADHD, that might not have been a problem. But if your system's not that robust, this is the problem. Absolutely. And, and and you said early on in that response, you talked about how we need to be re- regarding some of these products as food products and not food. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you've ever picked up a box of of Entenmann's Donuts. Do you know the ones I'm talking about? Yes, I do. Oh, my God. Or Entenmann loaf bread. I used can to you, eat stuff. Oh, my God. Can, yeah. can you can you visualize for me what, what, what you know, a box of eight rich frosted Entenmann's yeah. Donuts looks like? Yeah. So – Entenmann's Donuts, and I'm about to ruin – I do this on the podcast sometimes, Vera. I had an episode I talked about Coca-Cola, and, and a lot of my listeners, you know, I, I had written in, and they were like, you know, now I can't drink Coke anymore. Uh. Entenmann's Donuts actually contains 100 ingredients, um, okay. 100 ingredients in there, none of which are food. I mean, I'll, I'll read off a couple to you. It's, you know, it's uh, – let's see what we got here. And, and you can go to GardenGrocer.com. They provide um, ingredients lists, but it wow. contains – Cellulose gum, guar gum, tapioca dextrin, xanthan gum, caria gum, blue carotene, sodium aluminum phosphate, uh, calcium carbonate, pre-gelatinized wheat starch, um, uh, wheat starch, reduced iron – I mean, it's it's a hydro, hydrogenated palm kernel oil, high fructose corn syrup, of course. So if you if you really, you know, I remember one time I was on a diet, only eating fruits and vegetables and meat, and I, I went over to a box of donuts, Enemy's donuts. I smelled it, I took a bite, and it tasted like paint thinner. Wow. So I wonder if Vera, if it's a normal reaction for people that go off off processed foods for a while and then come back that they realize that this actually isn't food after all. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Uh, for any of your listeners, if you've ever been a smoker, you quit smoking and then you decide to have a smoke and, you know, it's that, ugh, that horrible taste. It's like, holy God. But the sad thing about it is, is, uh, you know, three or four cigarettes into the package, you don't notice that anymore. And similarly with the Entenmann's. But you're right. It's uh, those of us who don't eat this stuff anymore, like me, I don't eat that stuff anymore. Whenever I've had it by accident or something like that, it is. It's like, holy cow. can't believe that people eat that stuff. Which is actually good news because it does show that we uh, habituate back to eating w- proper foods. For so many people, when they think, oh, well, you know, this is all very well and good, but there's no way I can stop eating my intimins. The good news is you actually can and you won't want them. It's just you got to get through that period of time. It just reminds me. I, I, have you ever seen The Matrix? Uh, no, but I've heard about it. You, you haven't seen The Matrix? I have not seen The Matrix. I keep thinking I should see it. But, oh, my God. P- pl- yeah. Please please see it i mean it, it's been I've it's been over that. 20 years yeah the hallmark of, of, of american cinema but the only reason why i bring it up is because um essentially it just reminds me of, of you know the, the, you know the concept of the matrix yeah yeah i do tons we're living in a simulation and it's only when you take the um the you know the red pill so to speak that you realize that everything around you is an illusion and uh-huh. you know mo- most people opt to take the blue pill to go for ignorance and and it just feels that way with with you know the foods like the entomins or yeah. the, the or the you know uh, any and really any processed foods or fast foods yeah. anything you buy in a supermarket that people just kind of say you know like 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 fuck it I'm just gonna uh, consume this food and I know it's bad for me I know that it you know I know that after the third bite it won't take you know just just because they want to live in that in that ignorance yeah yeah I I I believe that. I believe that because don't forget I'm an addictions doctor and I see that all the time. You know, people are are smoking pot and they're thinking, hey, this is not a problem at all. Not recognizing that if it's a daily thing, there is something that's actually happening, but they don't want to know. Like it's it's there in all sorts of other ways, not just food, but food is a big one. That's why we can say it's a drug. And it also comes back to psychology, and you see this with cigarette smokers. If yep. you know, if if you survey a hundred cigarette smokers, ninety percent of them will agree that cigarettes cause cancer, but yep. the same ninety percent will say, "Oh, I smoke anyway." So how do how do you reconcile that? Uh huh. Uh, well, I think it's you know, it's it's that it's that thing. Um, one of the features of addiction, like there's different uh, uh, features that you have to sort of um, qualify to be to said to be said that you have an addiction, and one of them is denial. Uh, and and uh, there, we we have a the brain has a great capacity. It's like a cognitive bias almost to d- diminish fearful thoughts, to diminish fears. Uh, and so what people will say is, 
okay, I agree, it's a problem, but today, one more day is really not going to make much difference. I mean, literally, I've had a guy sitting on my examining table, um, and he's got uh, a foot that's going to have to be amputated because of his uh, alcoholism, so there's a peripheral neuropathy and all sorts of uh, basically problems. He's a smoker, and he's an eater, and he's got to get his foot amputated sometime. He's already on the list for that, for that surgery, and he's still smoking, he's still eating, he's still drinking because he says, what's one more day? So we have an ability to diminish uh, maybe just so that we can cope with life, I don't know, uh, and it doesn't work in our favor in this case. Uh, we'll actually say in, in this uh, the addiction world, you can't scare a person straight. You can't scare them. You, you can scare them, but they won't get clean. You have to make them want to be clean uh, by offering uh, a positive view. A negative view will scare people actually into using more. And, and Vera, that's incredibly disheartening um, and, and troubling that that, that, you know, that, that there are people coping with these problems. Um, how often do you hear people say, we're all going to die anyway? Uh, you mean like today because of all the things that are going on today? I mean, I feel so sorry for people. Well, yeah. not, not even today. I just mean, just you know, pre-COVID, if someone has a smoking problem or eating problem and you say like, oh, you probably should, you know, not eat that Big Mac. How, how often is the response? Well, you know, we're all going to die anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, that is the response. And and part of it is understandable. Again, it's not the person's fault. It's it's understandable in the context of, you know, what's what part of the brain is talking. If I say to you, uh, and you're used to having that bottle of wine at night, or the tub of Haagen-Dazs at night, um, or the Entenmann's at night, um, you can't have any tonight, your immediate, maybe not you, but a, a person's immediate reaction who lives on that stuff and relies on it to get through the night, to get to sleep, is going to be distress which is in the uh, limbic part of the brain. It's the uh, um, panic button, the uh, you know amygdala gets charged up. It, it, it's a, an immediate response to, I gotta save my life because you're threatening my life on some level. And and the long-term picture is you know part of the frontal lobe. It's part of another part of the brain which is not activated. When, when you're in a stress response, you wanna deal with the upcoming train that's coming at you right now, which is to pick up your food. Uh, mm. And the concept of the long-term pain is is secondary because you got to save your life in this moment and what I have to do as an addiction clinician or you know the uh, counselor the food coach the sponsor whoever it is is to essentially hold that person's hand keep them stable and steady until the train actually passes them because it doesn't really hit you you just think it will and and uh, um, you have to live through that it's what we call post-acute withdrawal um, until everything kind of recalibrates back and the entomens is no longer your lifesaver. But it, 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 you're asking a person, it's almost like you're in a panic attack telling the person, don't be afraid. They're mm. gonna, they're, and you just have to sit through that 20 minutes and help them not pick up while that 20 minutes you know, settles down. Uh, yeah. You, you know, the more you describe this, the easier I think it is for me and probably the folks listening to imagine food as an addi addiction because it seems like people will eat as a coping mechanism. Yeah. You know, if they yeah. much much like you know, if you think about how drug addictions start, and obviously this is your field of expertise, someone yeah. is extremely distressed, someone is going through you know a death, a tragedy, a breakup, yeah. and, and and they you know have a hit of. Uh, of something to make the pain go away. And yeah. then over time, they begin to make that association. I get relief when I inject or when I consume or when I Absolutely. sniff, whatever this is. Yes, and it doesn't even have to be a, a big distress. It can just be a chronic boredom, uh, a, a subacute uh, depression. You know, the, you know, you have a substance that relieves you of that constant gnawing of whatever it is. It's like a post-traumatic post-traumatic stress but on a little smaller level but repetitive over and over and over and you're just constantly um, reinforcing that Pavlovian response of oh this feels better until it becomes a survival mechanism it's not even just coping it's actual survival and now here you are trying to quit it's very hard to quit Absolutely. So I, I, I love I love the conversation about psychology. I feel like we could talk about this all day. I want to, uh, you know, go back to sugar for a moment because folks out there listening might be buying what you're saying about, OK, maybe I should cut back on sugar. But does that mean that we have to stop eating sugar forever? Is this like just a temporary change that we would need to make, Vera? 
Well, you know, I want to ask again the question that's, again, it's sort of normalizing the concept of, you know, do I have to quit smoking forever? Can I just have a, you know, a cigarette here and there? Why would you want to? That means that you're still um, uh, caught and you're still caught by the allure that the uh, sugar, cigarette, whatever it is, is going to be, have some value other than destruction. <laughs> so yeah. I just want to. I just want to nab that one right in the right, right, right there as as I see it. But um, if you are somebody who says I want to moderate because I really do want to have, you know, on my wedding day, uh, a piece of birthday cake or, or a wedding cake or whatever. Um, if you're somebody who has has um, a fairly robust system, it's almost like think about it like a person who's diabetic becomes diabetic because of an onslaught of sugar over the years and you know bio biological vulnerability for sure um, and so their insulin receptors become um, beaten down in such a way that they can no longer put sugar into their cells um, and that's what type 2 diabetes eventually becomes is sugar that stays in the blood because you can't bring it into the cells because the cells are essentially no longer um, efficient enabled to bring to bring them in um, so all sorts of things happen as a result of that think about that process happening in the brain but instead of it being the insulin receptors we're talking about the dopamine receptors you get this onslaught of dopamine aka a ton of sugar or cocaine or mm -hmm. something else um, and uh, the uh, receptors become um, l more and more fragile less and less robust and eventually you stop the diabetic, when they stop, they're still a diabetic. They may be functionally okay because they're eating well, but if the moment they start eating crack, crap again, the sugars go from normal of 2 to 7 up to 15 to 20 to 30 to 60, which is, I think you guys use different uh, uh, frames than, than we do, but units than we do, but nevertheless, way above normal even though they are uh, functionally okay when they eat well. Similarly with the addict, if you've reached a point where your receptors are um, battened down, t like beaten down, um, you're able to function if you're not using anymore, but the moment you start using, you can't. Yeah, like like you're back, your your um, dopamine impairments. Addiction could be called dopamine impairment syndrome as far mm. as I so the, the, it, the impairment comes right back and so that's a person who cannot ever pick up sugar again although we would never say that we would say for today today you don't have to pick it up right know? right it's, it's so interesting that all of this comes back to uh dopamine levels and, yeah. and, and the dopamine cycle i mean like you said it, addiction could be renamed was it dopamine impairment syndrome or dopamine receptor impairment syndrome yeah I, I mean, it's more than dopamine, but dopamine is a thing that uh, addiction doctors mainly focus on, the dopamine 2 receptors and the impairment, which happens across the board with any drug, alcohol, cocaine, crack, sugar. Um, yeah, it, it, we see it in obesity. Why? Probably because that person's obese because of, their, of the foods that they were eating, not intentionally, but because they were vulnerable to the food industry. Yeah. Yeah. Vera, I want to I want to confide something in you, and, and, and I hope this is a, sa a space, a safe space and, you know, judgment free zone. Yep. So when I was when I was a kid and you know into my teenage years, I drank a lot of coffee. Mm -hmm. And and when I drink coffee, um, I'm one of those people that you know you go into a cafe and they have the sugar packets and then they have the big container of sugar that you pour in. Oh my God, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm one of those. No, this is not gonna be good. I'm one of those people that I actually when I was younger up until a couple of years ago, I would take the lid off of the sugar and pour it in. Yeah. Wow. So I'm, I'm talking about probably and people have seen me at work. You know, people would come up to me and just watch me. I'm talking probably anywhere from like maybe seven or eight to like 10 to 12, uh, you know, uh, servings of sugar in my coffee, I, which I did for a long time. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, you know, otherwise I'm healthy. You know, I don't eat dessert. I, I you know, my, my diet's pre pretty balanced, but uh, definitely a lot of sugar in the coffee. And now what I do is, you know, uh, do you know those creamers that they put in coffee, the, the flavored yeah. creamers? Yeah, yeah. That that's my one vice, Vera. That's the only thing I, you know, I'm not not a crazy drinker, and I don't smoke. That's the only thing I indulge in. So, would you say that? Obviously, I know that that's if you look at the back, that's mostly high fructose corn syrup and and you know all these different artificial flavors. But you haven't told I'm, me how many you you uh, put in a coffee. I just kind of pour in maybe like a sixth of a cup, a fifth of a cup. Oh, okay. So, for people out there that that indulge in in those creamers, is that is that like a big problem or is that sort of like in moderation that's not that bad? 
Uh, it's probably if, if if it's within the context of that's all you're doing, it's probably fine. And you're young enough that that um, you you were probably robust enough that you can handle that. But you know, Ricky, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, uh, just make this suggestion to you. I, you, you know, you, you're you're a, a guy who's you know you've taken on a a study that's quite challenging. Um, you're you're doing a podcast, which is a lot of work and it's pretty daring to do like in terms of putting yourself out there and and you know those those uh, just those two things I don't know anything else about you um, su suggest that you're somebody that already thrives on excitement and risk-taking and daring which is all dopamine and my guess is that you're not sitting on the couch uh, doing nothing you're doing this kind of stuff and so some of this is spilling over I'd say almost into appropriate behavior like it's it's life you're, you're, you're living on life's terms you're taking on life's challenges but but if you were one of those people that was sitting out uh, um, watching Netflix on the couch, you'd probably, because of those creamers and because of that uh, sugar intake of years ago, uh, would be, you know, downing the entomins or whatever <laughs> or more than the next person. And in a way, you've adapted a recovery technique intuitively that uh, most people wouldn't do. Like, I really think that addicts... It, it, but if I can say, this is just hypothetical, right? Because I don't know you. Yeah. Uh, that you... you are probably at risk for develop and developing an addiction because of that history and maybe other stuff. Uh, but you've somehow intuitively um, moved your, uh, your your desires into a, a like functional way that's working for you that not everybody will do because addicts. I think are the people who were the pioneers. They, you know, they were the Steve Jobs. They were the the people who did the crazy, outlandish stuff, and then won some of them. Um, you know, the the person who's not willing to take on that challenge um, is the one that's sitting on the couch, just you know, the bystander, and <laughs> they're less likely to become addicts or maybe in a in a different way. So that's that's what I'm saying. I'm saying keep doing what you're doing, and uh, you can probably have your creamers. But if you stop doing what you're doing, watch the creamers. Wow, I mean, well, well, thanks so much for the for the unexpected consult. You can send me a bill in the mail for that. Yeah. Okay. All right. I right. mean, to be to be honest with you, if I have an addiction, to anything, I would think it's caffeine. Is uh -huh. that something that's something that you see a lot with your clients? Um, well, it's it, yes, I do. In in usually in a, in attendance with other stuff because people don't usually come to see me because of their caffeine addiction. But what I do see is that people um, similarly they they don't well now they'll come to see me because of sugar. But in the past it wouldn't have been. But it would have been what happened is is they put down their other substance and then the caffeine intake just skyrocketed and then the uh, sugar intake skyrocketed because they had to find it somewhere and those are more acceptable um, social uh, addictions. It, we also see sex addiction and gambling addiction, um, you know, process addictions, too, uh, which now and you actually mentioned earlier video. I bet you you're getting some of your stuff out with the videos. And I don't know if you ever noticed that you struggle with that, but there are many people who um, have found themselves caught in that. You know? Right, right. Well, yeah, I, I mentioned uh, video games like um, yes. like, oh, is that what you meant? Yes. That's another industry that's spending a lot of time. Um, trying to snag heavy users. Yeah, I mean there are there are clinics right now um, yeah. th that I'm sure you're aware of where people check themselves in for video game addiction. Yeah. Where yeah. essentially th th there's a lot of good research on this now, where people will go online uh, on something called Twitch and they'll they'll play games for for the public and they'll stay in their room for 48 hours straight. Right. They won't leave to go to the bathroom. They'll you know yeah. pee, in, pee in a jar and they'll have food delivered to them. Wow. I, yeah. I mean, that just that. Yeah. I actually have not seen somebody myself um, like treated somebody, but I hear about that a lot and I just find it astounding. Just astounding. I I mean, the, the last thing I'll say um, on on the caffeine addiction is I do think, you know, you mentioned that it's it's normalized in society and, and you know, it's sort of an across the board problem. I do think that we've devoted a lot of time to talking about food addiction and how people yeah. should look in the mirror and say, you know, maybe I have an unhealthy dependency on fast food, on corn, on sugar. I, I think you could say this same thing about caffeine because for me, you yeah. know, again, sort of like airing out my dirty laundry for you, I drink at least – three or four cups a day. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about a big cup in the morning, two right. cups in the afternoon, a cup in the evening to the point where my tolerance for caffeine is so high, Vera, I don't even feel the coffee take impact until the third or fourth cup. That's, uh -huh. a, that's a serious problem. Uh-huh. 
Yeah. Well, yes, I guess it is. Yeah. I mean, you know, depending on your, you know, blood pressure status and, you know, level of insomnia, anxiety, all those sorts of things. Yeah, for sure. It can be. I would say, you know, know, I'm a high functioning addict (laughs) in the sense of like, I don't, I don't necessarily, um, you know, have, you know, any sort of those vibrations, but I do think it's important if people are listening and they do consume a lot of caffeine to realize that maybe, you know, you know, maybe sort of like re-examine your relationship there. Yep. I think that's a good idea. Yeah. And then if you do re-examine your relationship, watch out that it doesn't morph into something else like candy. Yeah. For sure. For, absolutely. I mean, um, are you are you a big coffee drinker yourself? I am a big coffee drinker. When you talk about that, I'm thinking about my allegiance to Starbucks. You know, I've got <laughs> I've got the mobile app where I pick it up on the way and stuff like that. Oh man. So I, I do want to also uh, make sure to get to you know pick your brain on dieting because mm-hmm. I, I know I know this all like blends together very nicely. But uh, let's say that Vera, there's someone listening who you know, has made the decision to cut out processed foods and they're interested in exploring one of the the menu of diets available, what information would be relevant for you to know in order to steer them towards one diet or the other? Yeah, okay, so, you know, today... diets used to mean uh, restricting um, your um, intake so that you you know you exercise a lot like go to the gym you know I got to get my uh, my my, uh, membership at the gym and start going every day not you don't need to do that at all but if you want to go ahead Um, or or it meant I just got to restrict and starve you know be be hungry all the time or or, uh, you know large portions of the day and and I would say that first of all um, the 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 dot there are a number of food plans out there now which don't require that and I'm very happy about those so the the number one cardinal rule is if you want to uh, stop eating stuff stop eating processed food number one that that's the number one thing and it processed drinks especially like uh, pops uh, soda pop that sort of thing Um, that you'll do a big favor if you stop that and juices Um, okay so once you've done that um, the second thing whatever food plan you do don't starve yourself. Do not be hungry. And this isn't intermittent fasting. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about in general. Don't you want to be full? It's just you want to be full with the appropriate foods. Um, so that's item number two. And then the third thing is there are a few food plans that I think are not bad. You know, euphemistically we call them in the community. If you look it up, um, you know, paleo or uh, hunting um, caveman diet or hunting gathering diet. I think paleo is the main word. Where it's mm-hmm. it's it's a focus on uh, low carb uh, but moderate and moderate fat. And uh, the, just the, the magic of that diet is the low carb piece because if you're going to eat carbs, you're going to eat vegetables because in order to keep your plate full, you're not going to have you know a little sprig of Entenmann cake that's not worth it you'd rather have a big plate of cauliflower or something so you want to go for the complex carbs um because you're going low carb so you can't have that much energy dense if i'm making sense here so absolutely okay so the paleo is a good plan um if you really want to um you know get going quickly uh the the keto uh food plan is very popular right now and it, it inadvertently they stumbled on a food addiction plan not because they meant to and because of that, they can also um, um, end up getting into trouble. But that diet is high fat, uh, relatively high uh, protein, and very low carb, like almost in some cases no carb or extremely low carb. Again, the magic of that is the the, the carb piece, because if you're going to have any carbs at all, it's not going to be the refined ones, which will drive up your numbers too high. And so uh, right away, you're eating a food plan that's not addictive, because fats are addictive in the context of sugar, refined sugar, but in and of themselves, not not the case. Nobody eats a tub of bacon grease or a tub of butter alone. Just just that that happens very seldom. But if you put sugar in it, now you've got something that uh, is very. I mean, that's ice cream. That's that's <laughs> it's crispy stuff on uh, chicken wings. You know, it it ends up being um, very addictive. So so those food plans work well just inadvertently because of the uh, lower carb piece. So that's what I'd look for. But you don't have to go to that extent. It's just the, the, the value of them is that there's so many. And as long as they cut out the refined carbs, you get all sorts of food ideas and, and, and menus and um, uh, recipes. If you don't know what to do, somebody will tell you what to do. Right, right. I, I think it's interesting because a lot of this boils 
boils down to this all or nothing mentality we have in American culture. I don't know if it's the same in Canada, but it's the idea that like either you starve yourself for a month and you lose weight or it's not worth dieting at all. Right. Yeah. And that doesn't work because um, what's the point? I I heard somebody say this the other day, and it's so good. You know, so you lose weight, but if you're going to gain it back, what the hell was the what what was it worth? You know, you you've lost that weight for the for the month. And one of the things that happens, we see this with people who are, are obese. Often they'll say, I basically dieted myself into obesity because every time you lose weight, you gain more the next time you gain the weight back. And if you're doing a starvation thing, you can't do that all your life. Um, so you're going to gain the weight, like guaranteed you're going to gain the weight back. Yeah. Not, yeah. And if you're not paying attention to the addictive nature of foods, it's not your fault. You're going to eat the crap because it's uh, luring you uh, like a bull uh, being lured by the, you know, the, the ring on its nose to eating. To, it doesn't want to go there, but it has to go there because it's addictive. I think another thing that's important to, to highlight and you noted something earlier you said it you know you shouldn't have to go to, to starve yourself go to bed hungry to lose weight another right. thing here that I, a mistake people make and and you know tell me if this is correct not all calories are created equal exactly. because Thank you. I, yeah. I think i think a lot of people in america and and you know across the board think that just by counting you know oh if i'm at a calorie deficit i'll lose weight but why isn't that Correct. Be- because uh, it depends. So here, here now we actually get into the science or the, uh, well, I guess the science, the nutritional science of the actual calories and what you're eating. So if you're eating refined foods, um, refined sugars specifically, uh, carbohydrates, um, refined, uh, you're eating foods that are quickly metabolized into sugar. And so the insulin um, uh, increases because the insulin is the job of insulin is to mop away the sugar and carry it to the cells. And when you have high insulin levels, which is essentially the beginning of diabetes, uh, it it predisposes you to retaining fat. Um, It it predisposes you to uh, retaining fat of the kind that is dangerous, what we call visceral fat, belly fat otherwise known as uh, wheat belly or beer belly or bread belly. Uh, it's, it's the fat that sits around the waist, and uh, that's what comes first. That stuff is very, very toxic. And very quick, you, you gain that weight very quickly uh, when, you, when you eat this stuff. So uh, you can eat the same amount of calories in complex carbs like Brussels sprouts and you know, vegetables, basically. And uh, uh, the insulin will not get um, spiked to make this happen. In fact, it'll, if you do gain weight, it'll be what we call subcutaneous fat, which is the good stuff, the stuff around your butt and your arms and your legs and your, your muscles. What, well, not your muscles, but anyway, the good kind of fat that's not going to cause all sorts of disease, if right. at all, if at all. Uh, so you yeah. know, it, the calories, if they um, bring on insulin, this is where the problem is, and it's the beginning of the whole diabetic um, epidemic that we have today. Thanks to, like you mentioned earlier, the, the high fructose corn syrup and all those refined sugars it's driving our our system. It's driving our health um, uh, costs up outrageously. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, you mentioned uh, bread belly. I'm not sure I've ever heard that exp- uh, that expression, but. Uh, just to like sort of um, contextualize what Vera just said, if you're hungry and and you, you know you you only want to eat 100 calories, uh-huh. eating healthy is gonna essentially um, carry that 100 calories way farther than eating poorly because yeah. you know I, I you guys might have seen the visual but like with 200 calories you can eat an entire plate of broccoli. We're talking like you know 50 pieces of of, of baby broccoli or you can eat a quarter of a slice of chocolate cake. You know, you can eat for a hundred calories, you can eat an apple or you can eat, um, you know, a couple of gummy bears. So when you, you choose to eat healthy, you're actually making yourself more full because it's more efficient. Fewer calories will take you farther than if you eat unhealthy. Exactly. And not only will you be more full at the time, but you'll be more full over time. You're not going to be starving in three minutes or five minutes or typically in an hour, you know, you want another muffin or something. Uh, So you end up eating less. Even that's why, especially early on, you don't have to count calories. You don't have to worry about that stuff because your body will regulate. We were built to eat normal food, not this crap. And and so our timing and, and how much we eat will actually it'll it'll take care of itself 
Now, if you're already addicted and you're damaged, you may have to apply extra tools on top of that. But for the most part, yeah. You, you Absolutely. Don't... And it's like, it, it, you know, it's difficult to eat a lot of calories when you're eating healthy. Yeah. Like if you if yeah. you go to a restaurant, you know, and let's say you order uh, a cheeseburger and fries or you order chicken tacos, you know, smothered in cheese or whatever. And then you look and you see it's 1200 calories, that same 1200 calories, which, you know, is maybe a couple bites of chicken, uh, you know, a couple bites of, of beef that way, you know, if you had to, to replicate that 1200 calories yeah. by eating whole wheat or by eating fruits and vegetables, you would have to go through a lot of kale. I mean, a, a lot of asparagus, a lot of um, banana. So yeah. To Vera's point, you know, you're really going to be full in the long run if you, you know, if you're actually efficient with those calories and eating real food as opposed to the processed garbage. Yeah. So let, let me give you an example of exactly what you said. Uh, uh, one guy that I, I knew who eats well now, uh, but used to eat like, you know, all the stuff that's super addictive, like the chicken. And it doesn't have to be sugar necessarily. It's chicken wings and burgers and, and uh, you know, pizzas and stuff like that so he he would he estimated that he probably ate about four or five thousand calories a day um and was still hungry and had to have like top up nightly snacks and whatnot now now he eats to the fullest so he's eating those those baby brussels and and baby uh, sprouts or whatever it is um and now he eats probably about between two and two five two uh, two thousand cal two thousand to two thousand five hundred calories a day he is full 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 uh but you can see the difference and he's not having to get up in the middle of the night and eat more like it it really does work and just on that level the the quality of the calories is uh, like you said much more efficient well, that's that's good to hear. I mean, it's good to hear when 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 some of these stories actually have a happy ending. I mean, what's yeah. inter what's interesting, and I'm just thinking out loud here, is I'm wondering if there was a way, and and again, I'm just spitballing, if there was a way to sort of program your brain to only crave healthy foods, because you mentioned before huh. all about the Pavlovian science, how when. Yeah. We yeah. talked about with McDonald's, you step into the restaurant, you crave the, the fries and you end up making the purchase. What if, you know, what if you could do, I, I don't know how this would work, but you can somehow using a bell or a clicker program yourself to only want healthy foods. Okay. And so, th so that way, um, by the end of it, the food you were eating, the food that you were craving, the food that actually made your salivary glands um, initiate and the thing that, that, you know, made your stomach growl was the, the, you know, the smell of, uh, you know, fresh roasted garlic or um, asparagus or fruit salad as opposed to I, I, I just wonder if that's possible and what that might yeah. look like. Ricky, it is possible that you don't even have to do anything. You just have to subtract. Our body, our brain can can go back. It's the same way as a person can live without alcohol who is an alcoholic and live a normal, happy life. You 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 don't have to you know use the, that ton of sugar that you had when you were younger. Uh, it, it's it's what what happens is if you get rid of that offender, that hijacker, that exploiter, what happens is it takes, this is this is the good news about this whole thing, and this is what people, please believe me, you just give it a chance and try. This is this is the message I try to give my patients, is it's you're gonna sweat it out for about a month, and things will recalibrate back to the way we were built to like roasted garlic. Like, you don't have to do anything. That, that program is already there. It's just been exploited and hijacked. Get rid of the hijacker, unearth that program, and support that program. Beautifully put, beautifully put. And and I think a nice area where you see this is into intermittent, intermittent fasting. I had a coworker who essentially, he was on um, some sort of like, I don't know if it was a 16-8 plan or if it was like a, like a 24-hour fasting thing, but what, right. what he told me, which was interesting, he told me that he would essentially not eat for you know 16, 18 hours. Then the first thing that he ate when yeah. he was finished was chickpeas. He uh, just ate, he would eat cans and cans of chickpeas, and he told me by the end of it, he did this for about a month. Uh, he 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 loved chickpeas and he loved lentils and he loved uh, beans and he he just didn't really like processed food all that much. So right. I wonder if. Yeah, you could use intermittent fasting as a way of reprogramming your brain in this way. Well, that's a pretty extreme measure, and you can do that. I, I, I actually am a little nervous to suggest that because a lot of times people, by the time they see me, have been on multiple starvation diets, and it'll just trigger their binge behavior. So I, I would be nervous about that as a 
general tool. I think intermittent fasting can be done, but it's got to be done carefully with somebody, like a, a clinician, to help. But the, the principle that you're talking about is absolutely right. When you you subtract, you recalibrate, that guy loved because he was hungry. And, 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 and you, you get back to appropriate hunger. What is it? Hunger is the best chef. You start to love food that you would have walked away from uh, because you've gotten rid of the, the hijacker, just like he did. Uh, and, and you can re, um, reclaim that program that's been sitting there that actually we, we love vegetables and fruits. It's just that we've forgotten or we, we, it, we, we've been snowed by the uh, uh, foods that, uh, you know, the super dense processed foods. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I think people forget just how delicious, yes. you know, a, a, a fr I, I don't know about you. I love pineapple. Do you like pineapple? Not so much, but I know what you mean. Oh, I, know what you mean. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how you don't like. Well, so I, I, I think that there's, there's few things in the world that, that uh. are more satisfying um, to my taste buds than having some fresh cut pineapple uh. and just, you know, lights up my dopamine um, receptors. And I love, so I love blueberries, but I know what you mean. Oh, yeah. I, I, blueberries are delicious and loaded with antioxidants. Yeah. But um, there's few things that and, and I think people I don't even know if people forget that, but I think people are just so easily manipulated by the by the fats and, and by by the, the processed foods. Um, when the, the sh and, and part of it, you mentioned cost in a different context. We were talking about health healthcare. Part yeah. of it is the cost of industry about how your money will go a lot farther buying, you know, processed foods than buying fresh produce. Uh, yes, yes, they will. They will. But, you know, there's there's other costs that we don't uh, acknowledge. You know, so so you're 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 if you eat well, you're not paying medication costs. You're not paying you're not yeah. paying costs to deal with the depression that you have as a result. Uh, all of the uh, pain that you had, the physical pain, the self-loathe, like it, it depends on where you're willing to pay your cost. I, I think I think I personally rather pay uh, good for my food. I'm not on any medication. I you know I don't have a problem walking. I don't have a problem. You, you, you get what I'm saying here. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. So, so I want to go back to intermittent fasting for a moment. Okay. You mentioned that under the guidance of a clinician, yes. um, it might be helpful. So is there, you know, I know there's alternative day fasting, there's spontaneous meal skipping, and there's the 16-8 method. Is there one that you think is most efficacious across the board? I think uh, I, I would because I am really nervous. Don't forget, I see people that at end stage where they're really beaten down. And like I said, they have long histories of, of starving. Um, I, I'd probably go with the 16-8 um, and not get too hungry. I know there are, are real people, if, if you actually have diabetes and you need to have something that's a more extreme, fine. But uh, um, I don't know how many people, you know, here it is. Are you doing it because you're physically unwell, like diabetes, and you have to sort of take care of that? Or are you doing it because of weight loss? Uh, and if it's that reason, I would go with the 16-8. But still don't do it alone. Well, I mean, you know, there are certain people that have, all sorts of uh, restrictions, for example, religious restrictions, where yeah. during the, the month of Ramadan, um, yeah. you know, observant Muslims can only consume food after a sunset, I believe. So that would be yeah. almost like almost like a 16 8 plan on its own. Yeah, as long as when they um, uh, eat their food, um, you know, at the time when they're allowed to, that it's not highly processed and it's not actually binges. Because I've heard of people, uh, people have uh, disclosed to me, yeah, I didn't eat for 12 hours or however long it is, but then I really binged on all sorts of stuff. That is not a solution, and I don't think a proper intermittent fasting would, would uh, uh, a, a person doing that would say that that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, absolutely. I, I think that's I think that's well said. Do you do you see um, binge eating a lot? And if so, absolutely. is it? Yeah. 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 Binge eating because of people restricting. So that restricting binge, you have to be very careful with that. And that it's for that reason that I'm nervous about intermittent fasting, especially doing it alone. Uh, I think I'm going to I'm going to go on the line here and say I think it's actually uh, should be a medical intervention. It should not be used for um, weight loss and whatnot. You, you don't need to do that. If you eat um, proper food, um, because a lot of time people think, OK, I won't eat for the 16 hours. And then in that eight hour window, I can eat whatever I want. Not yeah, a good no. solution. No. Uh, it, but if you eat unprocessed food, you don't need to do that. You can eat three meals a day. Uh, and lose weight and feel fabulous and not be hungry. Like, yeah. 
So, so much of this is the fetishization of diets and fetishization yeah. by the media of like the plan of the week. You see yeah. these celebrities go on Dr. Phil, Dr. Oz, Oprah, and they say, yeah. oh, I, I tried intermittent fasting and look at me. Yeah, yeah. But let, let's look at them in five years from now. Now, you know, <laughs> if, if I can just say, I can give you a hand, more than a handful, lots of people who have lost weight. Um, and, you know, five years, 10 years, 15, 20 years later, they've still kept that weight off. And they're the people who are, are, are following uh, basically an unrefined food plan. I mean, it might have started with a raw food diet or something. I, I, I don't really care as long as it's not processed food. And they continue to lose weight. But we don't see them. They're not asked to go on Oprah because it's not exciting. Yeah, I, I yeah. wish Oprah or somebody would ask me to speak, but you know, I, I don't have a very exciting message. <laughs> well, well, we'll see now. I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens depending on you know who this gets broadcast out to. Maybe, right. maybe, maybe Vera, you know, uh, can speak yeah. some of her, some of her gospel. I mean, I, I really want to emphasize that I think a lot of this comes back to our culture of consumption, and that's something that yeah. I've I've spoken about on the podcast back episode. I think it was 27 or so about how. As Westerners, Americans, Canadians, Europeans, we just want to consume everything we can from food to sex to information. Yeah. And, and I think that in all of those contexts, you, yeah. you see the fodder for addiction. Absolutely. I was just going to say it's the dopamine itch. Dopamine is that I want, I want, I want. That's, you know, if I say to you, you, you have a dopamine spike, you say, well, what, is it? what do you mean? What does that feel like? Anytime you want something, that's dopamine. And so you want something big, that's a big dopamine rush. And, and I wonder, as a cure to that, to scratch that itch, I said on the culture of consumption episode that because we, we consume so much media, Vera, that yeah. you, know, you should start writing, you should start creating, you should start producing instead of just you know, consuming what other people make. So I wonder right. if, in, if in the food context, for example, people could start like cooking or preparing their own food, if that might help at all. Um, yeah, yeah, I, yes. Yes, but, it, but you can move outside of food. I mean, food is just one of a number of things that dopamine is attached to. Like, like you know, you're doing your thing with the podcast and whatnot, and people can get out there and start being creative in their whatever skill that they have. Like, I, I, I really – when I have somebody coming to see me with their addiction problems, when they have some other thing, other passion that they want to um, engage in, I immediately have a sigh of relief because I think, okay – this is where they can start putting all that dopamine uh, itch um, to to their benefit. Uh, but if they don't have that, it doesn't have to stay with food. It can be in something else, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I totally agree. Um, before we wrap up, if there's one thing that you want the folks listening to take away from this episode, Vera, what would that be? It would be that uh, there is a solution. Uh, there is a there is hope that uh, although it sounds like what I'm saying is stop eating sugar or refined foods, and that sounds like oh my God, how will I live? The the, the good news is that uh, it will feel hard at first. We call that post-acute withdrawal, pause, or or just withdrawal, um, which includes mental craving and and uh, feeling of deprivation. But it actually goes away in. 10 days, two weeks. It does not last a lifetime. The only reason why it lasts a lifetime for some people is because they keep cheating and re-igniting uh, that dopamine spike because dopamine is the want. And once that dopamine is settled, you start wanting the Brussels sprouts and you eat them, it's all kind of recalibrated. The good news is once you're there over that hump, it's a great life. I, I like to say it's freedom tastes great. <laughs> I love that freedom. And you, you said something earlier too that I liked. It was um, it was uh, hunger is the best chef. I hadn't heard that yeah. before. Yeah, no, that's not mine, but that's a that's a phrase that I like to think of a lot. Yeah. I was gonna yeah. say you got you got to trademark that if it's yours. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not mine. But freedom taste great is mine. Uh, let me say uh, also about my book, if if you don't mind. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So if people, if people are interested in learning more about this stuff, I have a website that's called addictionsunplugged.com. Um, and I have a book that I wrote called uh, Food Junkies, The Recovery from Food Addiction that you can get on Amazon. And it talks about everything that we've talked about. Well, actually, no, Ricky, you had some good questions. But it, uh, it, <laughs> it has a lot of uh, background that I've talked about. And also I have a Facebook group uh, called I'm Sweet Enough, um, a Sugar Free for Life. Please join that group. I where can people connect with you um, on on the socials? Are you on Instagram, Twitter, any of that? Um, yes, but yes, I'm on Twitter. But uh, really, it's actually best um, uh, if you just just go to my website, so addictionsunplugged.com, get it there, or uh, on my Facebook page, so Vera Tarman. 
Okay, wonderful. I'm just just making sure folks know because I'm sure after this episode, people are gonna reach out with with questions about okay. you know maybe they're you know maybe they have a problem that they didn't realize before. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, listen, this has been a delightful conversation. I think we both learned a lot about each other. You know, you learned that maybe I might have a moderate sugar and caffeine addiction, and right. I learned that you. You don't like pineapple very much. That's right. And intermittent fasting, I'm not crazy about. Um, but thank you so much for joining me, Vera. I, I you know, really, really enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, thank you, Rick. So that was my conversation with clinician, addiction specialist, and medical director, Dr. Vera Tarman. I really got a lot out of that conversation with, uh, with Vera, both on sort of like a, a personal level and also on an intellectual level, especially the part where... Vera indicated that it was possible to reprogram your your brain into only craving healthy food. I thought that it would require some sort of concerted effort um, towards making this conscious association like a Pavlovian response, but it seems like it's just as simple as having that cue routine reward where when you have the cue for, you know, uh, greasy fast food, Instead of, of, you know, having that routine of, of going to McDonald's and, and, you know, getting that sandwich, instead just picking up, uh, you know, some anchovies or some lentils or some beans. So that was eye-opening. And then, you know, having to face some harsh truths of my own with how much sugar I take in and how much creamer I have. Um, because as she said, you know, even if it doesn't impair my functioning right now, it might, you know do some damage down the line. So really the important takeaway is, is, you know, being aware of these behaviors and these tendencies before it escalates to the level where it might be a, a serious addiction. And as she indicated, addictions to food, addictions to, to sugar, addictions to refined and processed foods, those can be as severe as alcohol and drug addictions and cigarette addictions, even if we don't think they are. So I, I actually genuinely enjoyed the conversation with Vera and I hope you guys got a lot out of it as well. Next week, I'll be talking to millionaire investor and finance author Lloyd Edge, all about passive income and financial independence. If you've ever wondered how so many people are able to quit their 9-to-5 jobs and still make money and thrive, definitely make sure to tune into my conversation with Lloyd. That's coming up next week on Nervous Habits. Thanks so much for listening, guys. This has been another episode of Nervous Habits Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at Nervous Habits Podcast, on Twitter at Nervous Habits underscore, on YouTube, just search Nervous Habits Podcast, and you can write to me at Nervous Habits Podcast at gmail.com, Nervous Habits Podcast gmail.com. Got a lot of exciting episodes coming up, so make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts. If you haven't rated and reviewed the pod yet, you can do so. would really appreciate the feedback. And remember, next time you're craving a hamburger and fries, Try to reprogram your brain to pick up that can of chickpeas instead. Take care and stay nervous.